the Barcode Podcast with your host, Chris Glandon, serving cybersecurity straight up with no chaser. Let's hit the bar and grab a drink. Tony, my favorite bartender. I'll take a beer when you get a chance. Oh, you got it, Danielle. Okay, that'll be six seventy-five. Oh shit! I only have a five on me. Will you take mobile payment? Oh, you mean your iPhone for a beer? Oh hell yeah! Relax, Tony. That's not what I. What up, Tony? Hey, Chris. Listen to this crazy shit. Danielle over here wants to trade me her iPhone for a beer. Nah, man. She wants to pay you using her mobile phone. See, mobile payments work by using NFC technology or near field communication. It's built right into the device and it's used for apps like Apple Pay, where all she needs to do is hold her phone next to a payment terminal to pay for that beer. Ah, I see. Well, as long as I get mine, I'm okay with it. But, you know, I got to ask, is it secure? Glad you asked, bro. You know, despite the convincing evidence that mobile payments are potentially more secure than credit card payments, I always proceed with caution. Yeah, well, you want a real run for your money? I got a drink for you. We call it the fast buck. It's two and a half ounces of slow gin, a lemon wedge, and three and a half ounces of ginger ale. Just pour it all into a glass with ice, add your lemon. That's money, dude. Oh, hold on, man. You know what? I actually see a guy down there at the end of the bar who's an expert in payment security. Well, what are you doing down here? Get down there. Give me the lowdown. I'm on it. Okay, I hate to interrupt here, but what about my beer? Oh, no, don't worry about that. I got this one. All right, y'all. We'll see you next round. Timur Unicef is a security expert in the area of payment security and application security. He's also one of the organizers of Payment Village. He has authored multiple pieces of research in the field of payment security and regularly speaks at conferences such as CanSec West, Black Hat USA, Black Hat Europe, Hack in the Box, NOLCON, No Such Con, Hack in Paris, Zero Nights, and Positive Hack Days. And today, I am absolutely pumped to talk to him on the topic of mobile wallet security. Tim, welcome to the barcode, man. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for inviting me. Hey, sure thing, man. So we are fresh off Black Hat Europe 2021, where you just presented on this very topic just about 48 hours ago. How was that experience? Did you think the attendance overall was down compared to normal? You know, I'm just curious what the vibe was like. I mean, it definitely was a little bit different because yesterday I had my virtual session, which I was handling from home. And two days ago, I was at the stage in London Excel. You know, uh, you still have wipes that not like everything like it used to be. Uh, but that was really nice to see people, old friends, people you haven't seen for a while and to sort of get back to that, uh, meeting each other once, twice a year, discussing things you normally discuss at conferences, you know, 
before that, you're kind of limited by the virtual spaces like DevCon presents or, or just sit at home and chat with someone. Yeah. Where, where the, like the group of people sit and talk for half an hour about certain topics, some magical things normally. <laughs> now I, I know it's definitely nice to get back on site and, uh, get a sense of reality again. Yeah. So before we get into the specific topic of mobile wallet security, I think it only makes sense to get an idea of your background, how you got into the industry, especially with a focus on payment security. Um, so I was doing upset since 2009 in, in company that's called positive technologies. And, uh, I was mostly hacking web for our customers. Yeah. Just variety of different customers. And eventually at some point in 2013, we had a bank and we had to break their online system. And it really fascinated me. Like the idea you can, you can simulate being in, in the hacker movie. Yeah. Trying to steal money from the bank and obviously getting away with that because it's still within the legal requirements. Yeah. No one is going to catch you after that. So that was quite thrilling. And since that, I predominantly focus on payments. And, uh, you know, for a few years, it was all right. I was breaking online systems, mobile banking systems, uh, line banking systems had chance to look at, uh, more deep things like core banking things that st- sit, uh, much further in the infrastructure of, of the, uh, financial systems. But at some point, obviously became a little bit, uh, bothered with that yeah a little bit bored and 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 that was like okay need to move on and we had a chance to jump into the atm security uh was breaking atms for a few years then we had point of sales and cards we started doing like our research uh about mobile point of sale systems and their vulnerabilities and then slowly since i going Going, going into this routine, you, you break point of sales cards and, uh, become an expert in payments. And, uh, what, like two, two years ago, 2019, right after our last presentation about vulnerabilities in Visa, there was sort of nothing else except mobile pay, mobile wallets that we have left and haven't looked yet. And we took, it took, well, almost two years to, to sort of finish that research. Plus, we had problems with national lockdown, COVID, and, and so on and so on. So, yeah, that's, that sort of looks like a, a reasonable, dynamic, reasonable progression <laughs> of the career in payments. Yeah, I, 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 I still stay away from, from cryptocurrencies, yeah, from Bitcoin, blockchain. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not even sure I'm at the age when I'm capable of diving into absolutely new <laughs> area. Yeah. So maybe, uh, that will be uh next step. Maybe it'll be something else. Nice. Is that because of the complexity involved or is it just because of your own time constraints? Well, it's like, it's absolutely different domain. Yeah. Where, where, uh, I, I really like whenever I need like a help of a reverse engineer or a hardware engineer, I, uh, 
I really like, I'm so lazy that I say, Hey, can you help me? And normally we have people from our team who could have helped me. And they do where obviously the only one reason to jump into things like blockchain, cryptocurrencies and smart contracts. Yeah. Just to, just to extend the domain of, uh, payments for myself. Yeah. So I will need to like, I don't know, three, four months sit and learn new stuff. And I don't feel like my brain is right at the moment for that. Now understood. I'm curious to know though, as you learn this technology and as you conducted your own research, such as, you know, pen testing mobile payment systems or ATM hacking, I'm sure that to fully understand it, you had to stand up some type of lab environment. How difficult was that to emulate? So yeah, that's sort of the main obstacle entry barriers in payments. Yeah. And that's what we are talking about for years. And this is the main goal of payment village to sort of give more awareness to people, to give them, to make them more enthusiastic that they actually can jump into that area. And, uh, some restrictions are not as high as they could imagine. Yeah, it's more like in their heads. But most of the projects that we've done and the projects where our resources mostly come out, uh, they were like customer engagements. Yeah. So we had banks who said to us, say, hey, break an ATM for us. And that's how we jumped into that domain. Uh, these point of sales and cards. In fact, it also was the customer who came to us in the first place and said, hey, he bought this very expensive anti-fraud for millions of pounds. Uh, could you please simulate some sort of fraudulent behavior for us to ensure that, well, to tweak a little bit our systems? Yeah. So if there would be no such customer, we probably would not jump into the area of hacking point of sales. Yeah. And, uh, from another side, it's always like fascinates journalists who come up to us and say, Hey, well, is it real that it's so easy to buy an ATM of second market, like for two grand? And it actually is. And you can buy coin of sales second hands from eBay. And if you are a very skilled reverse engineer, you'll be able even to extract private keys from some bank's infrastructure. Yeah. The bank that, uh, this, uh, coin of sale belonged to, uh, before. And they could sort of shoot, uh, wipe all the cryptographic keys and things like that. But things somewhere went wrong. Yeah. So this is more of an illusion. And, uh, I, I really try to think of that, that actually a lot of people can go into that with a little bit more kick from our side. Yeah. We are trying to build some infrastructure, some, uh, virtualization, some examples to give people, uh, more access to that. For example, what we are trying to do at the moment is to create the environment where, uh, you just buy the uh normal card reader yeah nfc or a uh, normal chip card reader uh download the software connect it to your computer and send the data directly to me and i'm becoming the gate like proxy be- between the uh, payment terminal and your card yeah and and you can basically go and check uh some of your cards uh for different security issues yeah for example there are a lot of bug bounty programs in american banks which I can't participate because I simply cannot open uh, the bank accounts. Yeah, where you could do this on the other side. And there's a big market of that. And that's how I try to sort of like engage more people from the community, from uh, security research area, 
So yeah, this is sort of one of my uh, our next uh, big projects. Very cool. So do you use a proprietary tool set for testing or do you just use Kali or, you know, other open source software? Uh, some of things are publicly available. Yeah, most most of uh, sets that we use, most of environments. However, they never intended to work for the purposes. That's why, obviously, you sort of need to tune them a little bit from our side. So uh, we're going to use uh, card and terminal simulators in order to do things that I've told you about. Yeah, and they are mostly used for different tests uh, for banks. Yeah, because there are different tests during the certification where cards need to behave in certain in certain ways to pass the certification. Yeah. And these devices are predominantly these pieces of software and devices are predominantly uh, created for this purpose to automate some uh, DevOps uh, just de- de- developing tests. Yeah, like uh, PCI compliance and things like that where we are using them for testing security. Okay, got it. So let's talk about mobile wallets. So you got Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, and GPay. Those are the big three, I believe. They all rely on NFC technology. Um, can you talk to NFC tech itself, how it works, and if there are any security mechanisms built in? Well, NFC by itself doesn't have any security mechanisms. Yeah, it's just a radio signal emitted by the terminal and the uh, card is a passive antenna that generates uh, information that sends over the, over the radio. Yeah. And we are talking, if when we are talking about like payment cards, we could use NFC. They, what, what they've done is just basically migrated the code from EMV, from chip, onto the NFC part. So most of things that are happening uh, that you will be able to see in, in the radio field will be exactly the same as the one that chip will send with the physical contact if it's called, if it goes into ATM or point of sale. Yeah, and the next step after that was a mobile wallet. Yeah, when, when uh, also we still approaches, yeah, in... Uh, in, in, in your payment card, the main feature of a smart card is the read-only area or the, the area where you can't read the cryptographic keys from. You have the write-only area. You, uh, and, and developers and, uh, bank issuers put secret keys there that, uh, made secret features during the transactions and you can't simply read them from, from, from the card. And when, when developers decided to create something similar for the mobile phones, uh, they've taken two approaches. Yeah. The one is the separated chip, secure enclave. Yeah. Like in Apple, in iPhone, where these keys could be stored, where they also cannot be extracted that basically simulate the same code as, uh, as the one on, on, on the card. And, uh, Google, on the other hand, chosen the approach where they just load uh, security keys from from the cloud for every like twenty transactions. Yeah, so you do like up to twenty transactions, and if you are still offline, if your phone is not connected to the internet, you won't be able to make more purchases anymore. You need to be able to, to, to connect to Google Cloud to get another batch of uh, security. 
Yeah, because Google obviously created their platform open source in the first place. Yeah, and they understood that it's really easy to compromise the device. Yeah, and for example, when Samsung Pay decided to create their own, uh, well, so when Samsung decided to create their own payment system, they had to build an additional chip uh, within the Android platform, yeah, which for, for, for their own, for the same purposes, their Nox chip that they also use as, as a security in place. Okay, I see. So if you're using GPay, it generates these keys if I'm offline so I can continue to make purchases. Then once it's back online, does GPay then need to take any action to complete the payment? Well, information goes from point of sale. Yeah, so your bank already knows that you made the made payments. However, if you if you would make more than twenty payments on the phone, there will be no more uh, secret keys for next transactions, and that means you won't be able to make more than X uh, payments unless you will go online. I see. So payments get made with GPay offline using, let's say, key number twenty. The POS sends it up, bank approves it, and then you're basically SOL until you're back online. So, yeah. Interesting. Okay. So back to mobile wallet technology. When did you see this take off to the mass public? And did you see an uptick during the pandemic? Definitely happened in the last two years. Yeah. So uh, I remember that when we were finishing our previous research in 2019, we had only Google Pay that allowed payments on locked device without unlocking them with fingerprint or, or with pin code. Yeah. And, uh, Apple Pay, Samsung Pay, they all required, uh, some sort of authentication, uh, to conduct payment. But shortly after that, in the end of 2019, they both implemented their transport, uh, or transit systems. Yeah. The one that we use in our research and attack in our research. And that was due to high demand of payments, uh, on transport. Yeah. So I put these numbers in, in my research, like, uh, 50 million or like four, almost 40 million pounds was spent within one month on transportation just within the UK. Yeah. So you can imagine it was a large piece of money that they were not able to take most of it. Yeah. Because most of people find it very inconvenient to unlock the phone in front of the gate and it's like that. They just prefer to use car. Yeah. And they decided, okay, we need to crack on with that and we need to do something with that. So it's definitely, uh, numbers are going, uh, up and up. And in the beginning of this year, Australia quoted that, uh, mobile payments overtook NFC payments for the first time in the world, well, card payments, physical card payments, uh, for the first time. And I think obviously this will go even more up. Yeah. People will stop using traditional cards. We'll start using more mobile wallets and we'll be more probably competitors in the market, more different devices. I have things like, you know, these different mobile, like, I don't know, Forbes, keys, uh, rings, uh, that, that I use. Well, they are basically like cards. Yeah. Basically the same chip inside, everything static, everything static, but with mobile wallets, you sort of have a little bit more flexibility. You don't need an additional device. Yeah. And everyone is about mobile phones nowadays. Yeah. 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 
Absolutely. Now, when you talk about public transportation, contactless payments have just become way more prominent in that use case. And the act of using mobile payments for this type of transaction, I understand, is called public transport schemes. Is that right? Well, they, they, they have different names. Yeah, Apple called them uh, transit, transit systems or transport cards as well. It, it really depends depends on the region. <clears throat> yeah, I, I had a chat with a journalist from the U.S. yesterday, and he said that he had no clue what am I talking about. Yeah, but I definitely know that, for example, in New York, these systems are used. Yeah, so they're not like massively adopted uh, across the globe. For example, in Russia, they're not used. Yeah, in Russia, people can't pay with Apple Pay. They either have to use GPay, or now they implement a biometric uh, scanner. So now they will go into the idea that your face will be your Apple Pay. <laughs> yeah, and I think China will go into the same direction where uh, Japan, US, uh, obviously United Kingdom and a few other countries, they have uh, working transport systems that should be supported by Apple. So what is your take on that? You know, in terms of the facial recognition aspect. I mean, I mean, uh, from from one side, yeah, definitely uh, EMV and everything around that. So imagine uh, an EMV is uh, you. you it, that's basically the the company that created uh, first uh, chip cards. Okay. Yeah, in the in the end, in the beginning of nineties, yeah, the state for Europe Mastercard and Visa. And Europe is a company that doesn't exist anymore. And uh, Visa states that uh, EMV does not stand for v, v in EMV does not stand for Visa nowadays. They say that that was used to be acronym, but not anymore. <laughs> so it's kind of yeah. Uh, all you can see now, yeah, you can like you have crypto cards, cryptocurrency cards that are traditional EMV cards. Yeah, and you can imagine so cryptocurrency. That uh, all the technology about that that was invented just within the last five ten years sits on legacy that was created thirty years ago and that has problems that was sitting there thirty years ago. Yeah, because thirty years ago people didn't worry about hackers so much. Yeah, where where now uh, things are going really badly. That could go really really badly. And the only one way of getting rid of that is to probably come up with something like from scratch completely. Yeah. But you can't create your own payment system from scratch and say, Hey, uh, from now on, everything will be adopted across the globe. Yeah. You, you need to physically install software that will recognize these systems is for every banks, for every point of sales, for every merchants. Yeah. So that's why, like, at least. The ideas of like, why can we go and implement, I don't know, biometric systems that will, uh, conduct payments for us or QR payment systems like they implement in a lot in Indian country, in India, yeah, in, in some other countries. Uh, it's some good initiative. Yeah. I'm not saying that in terms of privacy, yeah, it's the best thing to do. Yeah. So it, biometrics itself is probably one of the worst examples. However, uh, for payments to come up with something new, yeah, it's a, it's a brave initiative, definitely. Yeah. I'm sort of programmed to always look at it through the privacy lens. So 
I can't help but cringe when I hear facial recognition. <laughs> you know, it's it's scary to me. Unfortunately, yeah, it's a little bit messed up. Well, I I, I had a conversation with uh, one of for one of the uh, university staff in from Spain a few days ago, and, and she was saying like uh, we are we are pushing. Uh, we are doing the best so Europe will not adopt examples like that from, from China or from Russia. We are not planning to massively adopt biometric systems in public, uh, transportation in, and things like that. Yeah, because we definitely see a lot of risks there. But they are, they're more traditional. You know, the old Europe, uh, a little bit old approach where people uh, from China, from Russia, they're probably trying to be on the edge of technology. However, eventually, I'm absolutely sure eventually that will hit one example or some other example. Yeah. And we will have some big leakage of data. Yeah. And the main problem is biometrics, as you may know. Yeah. It's like you can't just wipe your face. You can't just wipe your fingertips. Yeah. This is going So through your research, you've discovered vulnerabilities in all major mobile payment platforms. Are these vulnerabilities specific to the public transport scheme? And could you talk to the specifics of those vulnerabilities? So for Apple and Samsung, yeah, it is for their transport schemes. So if you never heard about transport card, if you never set a transport card in your phone, uh, you probably don't need to worry about this at all. Uh, for GPay, uh, it affects a default card, the card that is set, set by default, as long as you have NFC uh, working. Yeah, because GPay allows paying uh, payments on the phone uh, with just activating the screen. Yeah, so if you found a Google, uh, if you found an Android uh, phone on the street uh, with GPay activated and NFC activated, you can basically go and pay in stores. Yeah, this is by design. Uh, so for this reason, Google implemented some, uh, well, payment systems and, and well, on this Google implemented restrictions that do not allow them to pay, uh, above certain limits. Yeah. So you sort of have some, uh, limitations and that these are limitations that we are trying to bypass. So we bypassed them for Visa in 2019. And this year I just shown how it's possible to create a functional clone of MasterCard card, a MasterCard wallet for GPay. Uh, and I also was using quite an old research from uh, 2015. The guys were showing vulnerabilities against MasterCard cards, uh, where I just adapted it to more modern specifications of Google, yeah, because I... Well, yeah, we found this one this in Apple, we found this one this in, in Samsung, and we had uh, problems with Visa, GPay we shown before, and we decided, okay, I have one small piece of information that I need to cover. Yeah, and I was like, okay, how, how exactly I can utilize the attack against GPay MasterCard card? So I didn't come up with something completely new, just used some of the old works that I adapted for this new environment. Okay, I see. So what could be done differently then by card providers and mobile wallet vendors to prevent these vulnerabilities? Should Apple and Samsung Pay adopt the same protection mechanisms that GPay already enforces? So uh, after, like, 
the whole idea that really stuns me is that uh, Apple, Samsung, uh, every bank that you know, they will say that mobile wallets are uh, top of the edge of security. You definitely, uh, your card and your payment data is much more safe than when you pay with your physical card. Yeah. Uh, and this illusion actually, well, it's just, just an illusion because in fact, what's going on, yeah, is you have, uh, Apple, Samsung, Visa, MasterCard. It's not their money. It's not, uh, they, it's just their infrastructure. Yeah. Uh, but the entities, uh, whose money belong to, Merchants, issuing banks, uh, card holders, and obviously mobile phone, uh, holders. Yeah. They simply can't do anything. Yeah. We just, if, 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 uh, I give this example, give this example on, on the presentation. Imagine you have your phone, uh, Apple phone with activated transport cards that you lost and didn't have a chance to walk. And I come and pick up your, your phone and utilize some of techniques that they presented to actually commit fraud to buy, I don't know, uh, some jewelry in store or to send money onto my merchant account, but then in order to send it back, for example, to my own cards, make refund, yeah, and then to, I don't know, launder the money and, and get away with that. Okay, you get this uh, notification that 5,000 pounds uh, were withdrawn from your account. You're like, oh, shit, what's going on? You call to your bank, you block the card, uh, you say, Hey, I, I lost my phone. Things happening. Yeah. And, and, and you sort of should be assured, at least by the banks and by all the companies that your money are safe. Yeah. That eventually you, you will get a refund. But, uh, in fact, uh, I, I'm absolutely sure that after a, a little while, Asian bank will start asking you, how, how can you prove that there was not actually you who got and bought this jewelry. How you can prove this, how you prove that. Because they simply will not see uh, information that indicates that your phone was not unlocked with your PIN code, that was not unlocked with, 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 with uh, that actually, that was not you who made this payment. Yeah. And uh, it, it will go into like a technical expertise and, and, and the fight of uh, who, who has more power. Yeah. And obviously, if if bank has more power to prove that they, they did not, uh, that they've done everything they could, that's fine. But the problem is that it's not even in bank's hand to prevent this fraud because for them, this is a genuine Apple Pay transaction. They don't see any problems and Apple Pay ensured them that Apple Pay is extremely secure and therefore banks normally will not put a lot of thresholds on Apple Pay transactions. Yeah, it's not a Max Stripe or Card Present very outdated type of payments. Uh, so this is a tricky one. Yeah, we have companies and, and, and obviously Samsung or Apple will say, Hey, it's simply impossible to make payments with our phones, uh, on, 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 unless it's unlocked, uh, you know, and why you didn't block the card in the first place. <laughs> is the fraud protection then not as mature as you would see with credit card issuers? There are, there are, there are just, uh, different categories with different level of security. Yeah. And at the bottom, you will have Cardinal Present or Max Stripe, where these cards are extremely easy to clone, extremely easy to steal and reuse it anywhere you want. Yeah. Uh, next level, you will have NFC, EMV, 
uh, cards, yeah, that uh, the only one way to use them is to steal them, to borrow them for a bit, and then to reuse them. You need the physical access to the card. Yeah, you can't, uh, and, and hackers really like to operate on a large scale. They need to, they would like to steal tens of thousands of cards to, to actually make their dirty business work. Yeah. Uh, they won't be, I don't know, uh, walking through, uh, town center looking for, uh, stolen, car- dropped cards. Yeah. Forgotten cards. <laughs> so th- th- that's why thresholds there are slightly larger. Yeah. So because, uh, EMV insuring banks that their security is in place, uh, Asian banks probably will not uh, put these transactions under much of scrutiny, and even worse, that will be for mobile wallets. That, so, this is this is the situation. Of course, the prices are different. Yeah, if if you will try to buy uh, one hundred thousand uh, pounds car using the chip transaction chip, chip card, yeah, that might cause some issues. But if you will use mobile wallets, Apple Pay yeah, is their their main goal. They were saying we would like. To have no limits for our payments. We would like our customers to buy expensive cars, houses, whatever they want, as long as they have money on their accounts, full stop. This is what they want, and this is what they get in the end. But at what price that counts, well, we'll find out. On the flip side, then, what can consumers who use mobile payments do to protect themselves? I mean, I would not recommend to wear a tinfoil hat, you know, completely getting rid of technology, go to cash. Uh, a lot of people do this during COVID. Yeah, during COVID, uh, the world kind of polarized and we have people who really uh, saying, stop using cash. Cash is dirty, cash is ugly, full stop. Another group of people say, hey, if you're going to keep using only mobile wallets and only cards, government will be tracking us and we won't be able to, I don't know, our taxes will rise and things like that. I'm, I'm trying not to take any of the sides. Yeah. Because it, it looks, it sounds a little bit wacky. Uh, but the general awareness is the key. You need to understand what could possibly happen. What could possibly happen if you will enroll your Visa card as a transport card for Apple Pay. What will happen if you have a default card on GPay? Yeah. And once you know that, it gives you a little bit more assurance. For example, I don't do this. I will never just, I don't know, block anything and will use cash. I just have this understanding of what risks one or another action can possess. And if I will uh, suddenly realize that I don't know where my iPhone is, I will urgently go to iCloud, will block my cars from there, will call to my bank, or yeah, will cancel my cars from there. And I'm sure that this will help. At least for now, I know the techniques that would allow uh, to bypass these features. And I would keep a close eye on notifications, like if I will see any like suspicious transactions, yeah, I will think about the, where my phone was during the last uh, night or something like that. So this is like a general, general sense, yeah, like a common sense that helps to see that life is not just rainbows, yeah, it's some kind of fraud might be possible, yeah, and there were cases I remember like this high profile case when guy was suing a bank in Canada 
for someone purchasing one hundred dollar thousand dollars car uh using his car yeah and he said no i never i never i, I lost the part yeah and, and they were going into years of for battle in court trying to find out who's right who's wrong just having these ideas having these examples uh on the background really helps me to sort of balance and not be so reckless because by nature i'm quite a reckless person <laughs> it's funny because you know we're in the risk business although we are all risk takers at the end of the day so you know, you're doing an amazing job, though, bringing awareness to this topic. Um, what, what, else, what else can we do to spread awareness? What other initiatives exist to really shine a light on this particular danger that affects so many people? Well, as I said, one of our latest initiatives is Payment Village, yeah, where, first of all, obviously, uh, we are aiming security experts, yeah, the core security experts from uh, uh, from other domains sometimes think that payment is, I don't know, it's too hard to, to, to think of, yeah, but however, they definitely have enough skills to jump into that area. All they need is just a little bit of equipment, a little bit of background and some sort of playground to test their theories, to test what they can do, what they could apply uh, into, I don't know, upset area that they can actually apply into payments. Yeah. I'm not a reverse engineer. I always work on L7. Yeah. I work on the application level. I don't go, uh, above and beyond that. And I'm still able to, to do all right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, I think as more people from, from our industry, from other industries will be able to have more awareness about security in payments uh, and insecurities in payments, probably, which is more important, uh, as better world could be in five or ten years' time. Understood. So where can our listeners go to find out more about you and Payment Village? Uh, yeah, it's paymentvillage.org. Uh, we have YouTube channel. We try to uh, log as much information as possible from our sessions, from our chapters. We do our chapter on DEFCON. Uh, we've done two so far. Uh, sometimes attend other conferences. Uh, yeah, but mostly it's paymentvillage.org. Nice. So I have to ask you, if you walked into a bar today, are you using cash, credit, or mobile payment? I'm using barcode, QR. <laughs> My man. That's all we accept here, barcode. So you got it. Now you're in the UK. Uh, if you go out to a bar, where would you go? Do you have any cool bars there that you could mention? I think the only one bar that I prefer is the bar where uh, DEFCON chapter is happening, DEFCON London, uh, DC London, that was created by, I think it was Adam Laurie, uh, who also used to be a payment hacker back in the day. Uh, it's in central London, I believe, uh, something around Oxford's, Oxford Circus, but uh, they did not do uh, meetups for a while, but I really hope this, that at least this year we'll have one, one meetup at least. So I just heard last call here. I got one more for you. If you opened a cybersecurity theme bar, what would the name be and what would your signature drink be called? 
Well, I definitely would come up with some crazy, wacky name that will make a lot of fun that not most of the people would understand, though. So I need to think about that. Can't come up straight away. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay. The payment poor. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, what payment methods would you accept? Uh, cash on. <laughs> oh, yes. Cash is king. Hey, listen, thanks for your knowledge today, Tim. I really appreciate it. You take care, man. Thank you. Barcode patrons. If you like this episode and would like to support the podcast, rate us on Apple Podcasts and visit our Patreon site, patreon.com slash barcode podcast. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, check out the barcodepodcast.com slash sponsor. Cheers. Unfortunately, it's time to shut the bar down for this episode. Thanks for stopping in. See you next time. We'll save you a seat. Be sure to check us out at thebarcodepodcast.com.